chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. To be honest with you, I really didn't know exactly what I was going to preach about until this morning. Uh, Lord kind of laid these verses on my heart, thinking back kind of some of the things that we talked about last week. Um, and how faith is a work of God. And uh, that how that faith that is given to the child of grace is um, is a uh, spiritual work. It's a spiritual grace. It's a gift of God. And that it isn't something that we have in the natural man, as I mentioned last week. We don't take our natural faith and just move it from this object and put it on this object. That's kind of how I grew up believing and teaching is that we... You know, that's what repentance is, is putting our faith and trust from this object to this object. And in essence, that kind of what has happened whenever God grants repentance. We no longer are trusting in our righteousness, but looking to Christ's righteousness. But faith isn't something that we naturally had, uh, and then we just, by the exercise of it, change it to a different object. Now, Christ surely is the object of what faith looks to and what faith clings to and what faith receives as their righteousness. But brethren, that isn't something that we just can flip like a switch and say, I'm going to change it from here to here. And as we've seen last week, faith is something that is sovereignly given by God. It's granted by God. And even within us, whenever we are born from, from God... We are worked in by the Holy Spirit, and He works faith in us. That it's something not only that He grants, but something that He gives in measure, and He works that in us. And uh, I don't know about you, um, there are some times that my faith seems to be strong, but there are some times it's not. Well, that's the Lord giving faith in measure, and uh, uh, He does that uh, at His discretion. He's the one that's got the sovereign free will to do what he wants to do according to his pleasure. And as we just sung in that one hymn, you know, sometimes the Lord sinks us low. He blasts our gourds or he, he offsets our plans, what our desires are, because he has a purpose that is being fulfilled. And the Bible says that he works all things uh, after uh, the purpose of his own will, or after in accordance to his own will, and that all things work together for our good. So those things that don't seem like are for our good, or that we are thinking are for our good, somehow along the way it's for our good because God's purposed it that way. But sometimes it's not always a cup of tea, I should, guess I should say. It's not always a cup of tea for us. So anyway, I was kind of going back and thinking about that a little bit uh, this morning as I was uh, down praying and studying uh, a few scriptures before this morning. And this scripture actually came uh, to mind as I was reading past from where we was at last week in Romans 4.16. And that is in verse 5. And actually, Larry got me kind of thinking about this. Me and him and Mark had uh, dinner the other night. And uh, he kind of got me uh, thinking about this. We were talking about uh, our position before God uh, from the foundation of the world. Uh, and of course, all y'all here know that we have an eternal vital union with Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1 is very clear about that, that we were chosen <coughs> in Christ before the foundation of the world. Matter of fact, 
before I actually read in Romans, if you would just turn to Ephesians. And I want to read a couple things because I think it's really a foundational thing to know our position in Christ. Please forgive me if I'm scattered in my thoughts and, 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 and going about these things this morning. I pray the Lord would give me uh, give me <laughs> Matter of fact, why don't we just go to the Lord asking for prayer? I actually forgot to pray before we started here. Let's go to the Lord and pray before we read here. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come to you thanking you, and we are beholden to you for everything in our life. We're beholden to you for life, for faith, for grace, for mercy, for the ability to even preach, uh, to know the things of the Spirit of God, to know the Word of God. Father, we come this morning humbly before you, and we ask that you would be with us in our midst here, as you have promised, for two or three are gathered, there you will be in our midst. And Father, we just thank you today for this time of fellowship and worship that we have together. We thank you for the Phillips that are here with us this morning, and we uh, are grateful to uh, be in contact with them again, and Lord, we are just thankful that they're here with us, <coughs> and we pray, Lord, today as we all gather together, uh, we ask that you would be our teacher, we pray for the Spirit to lead us and to guide us in the truth. Lord, I pray that you would guide, uh, guide my words, and that you would guide my thought process, and that you would keep me from error. And that I might only speak the things of truth, Father. I pray that all things that we do here today through the singing of these hymns and our fellowship time and our uh, preaching, Lord, I pray that it is all in bringing exaltation to Christ Jesus, that it is not to exalt man in any way, but that Christ might be clearly seen, clearly understood, and clearly exalted above all things. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and help us to worship in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we just pray now as we look at these passages of Scripture uh, before us, Lord, that we would present Christ Jesus in them. We know that you say in your Scriptures that in the volume of the book uh, it speaks of Christ Jesus. And so we pray that we find Christ in everything that we look at. And Lord, we are so grateful for Him. Lord, we're grateful for all uh, the work that you've done on our behalf through the shedding of blood, for the remission of our sins, for the justification that is by your faithfulness, Lord, for the uh, reconciliation that comes through Christ Jesus. Uh, Lord, we are so um, so much a needy people, uh, unworthy of your grace and mercy, but Lord, in love you have shed your love upon us and have brought in our heart, and we just thank you today for that. We thank you today for the time that we have together, and we ask you to bless it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Uh, if you would look there in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 I want to get back over there and a lot of times especially in my own understanding at at one time I made a break in in this verse but let me start reading in in, uh, verse 2 it says grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. And of course, the us that we're looking at here, we all know is the children of God. This isn't speaking <coughs> in general to mankind. The Bible specifically is written to the children of God. It's not written to the world. It's not written to the reprobate. It's not written to the non-elect. It's not written to... Uh, 
uh, all those outside of Christ. It is written to the people of Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul actually opens up this uh, uh, this letter uh, to the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So that applies to us, not just that church, but also to us because we're the faithful if we're His. We're the faithful in Christ Jesus. Not because we hold out strong in the faith, but because we have been made faithful through Christ. He was faithful, therefore we have been faithful. So this is for us. But it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. We've not missed out on any spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing that ever comes, is that the, is that the spiritual blessing of, of, uh, of the new birth? Is that the spiritual blessing of faith, of repentance, of uh, 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 justification, of sanctification? Uh, is you know just think of all the different spiritual blessings uh, that uh, that are out there that the Bible teaches us. Um, he says he has blessed us with all of them. But notice here he says with all spiritual blessings. Where did he do that? Did he do it here on the earth? Did he do it at the moment that you believed on him? Did he do it the moment that you started keeping all the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Which we know can't happen. When you started coming to church or anything like that? No. When did it happen? It says, He blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. How does the blessings, all the blessings, all the spiritual blessings, notice that the blessings are all spiritual blessings. They're not fleshly blessings. Now, do we experience things that the Lord gives us in this lifetime in carnal things? Yes, we do. You know, the Lord blesses us with a sunny day or, you know, with a you know, a new new dog or whatever, you know. Whatever it is, the Lord blesses us with those things. However, we're talking about <coughs> spiritual blessings. All these spiritual blessings come in a spiritual way from the Spirit of God. And it's communicated to the spiritual man. It's communicated to us through the spiritual man. Flesh and blood cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he. Neither can he walk in them. Neither is he going to be able to inherit the kingdom of God. This flesh and blood is not ever going to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not ever going to see the things of the Spirit of God. And know the things of the Spirit of God. The only thing that knows that is that spiritual man. And so the spiritual things are communicated to the spiritual people and applies to the spiritual people of God. And that's why we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. And this being in Christ is how we got these blessings. We didn't get them by working for them. We didn't get them by obeying. We didn't get them by keeping the law, by even believing and receiving Christ. We didn't get those by doing that. And and there are going to be people out there in other places that are going to teach you that, that we get the, these whenever we come to Christ and believe on Him. Then that's when God gives us these blessings. But these blessings are clearly shown to be given to us before the foundation of the world in heavenly places in Christ. I, I don't know about you, but this flesh and blood has not ever been in heavenly places. It's of the earth, earthy. But yet that man that is on the inside, it has been in spiritual places. Because the Bible said that the life that we had was hid in God, or in Christ, in God. That life is the life that was in Christ. Now, God gives us a great illustration of this whenever He speaks of Adam back in Genesis. Whenever Adam was created uh, by God, and the Bible says that He 
named them Adam. He said he blessed them, man and woman. And he blessed them and called their name Adam. But yet he had not been brought forth from his side yet. But he blessed them, the Bible says. And he uses the word them. He blessed them. Well, wait a minute. There was only one person there whenever he blessed Adam. Who was he talking about? Well, he was blessing his wife that was still in him. Even though she had not been made manifested yet, had not been brought forth, she still was <laughs> blessed because Adam was blessed. And see, Adam being the first Adam, Christ being the second Adam, all that spiritual seed, all that spiritual family, and if you will, the, the uh, allusion to the bride, his bride, his wife, is in him. And it's a spiritual thing. It, we are in Christ Jesus, and that life is in Him. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am life. In me is life. And the life that we have is eternal life. Not necessarily speaking of an amount of time, but a person. He is eternal life. Because His life has never begun, and it never will end. And therefore, the life that we have, this life that comes from above, is born from above, it's eternal. It's always been in Christ. We've been in Him. So just like Eve was in Adam before Adam ever fell, got put into sleep and pulled Eve from him, she was there. We see another illusion of this in uh, Abraham whenever uh, the tithes were paid to Melchizedek. He wasn't alive at the time, but how did he do it? He did it through the seed, Right? So we see these illusions of the seed being in the head. Christ is our head. Christ is the one upon whom all the blessings were conferred to. The promises were unto the seed, is what God's told Abraham. The promises were unto the seed, and not seeds as in many, but seeds as in singular, Christ. So the promises were made to the seed, and the seed was the one who received those blessings, but everybody who is in Christ Jesus also received those blessings because they are in Him, and He is the, uh, the head of them, the representative of them. Therefore, because they are His, they receive the same inheritance that Christ received. Eve received the same blessing that Adam received because she was in, in Adam whenever he was blessed. So this is how we are blessed in, in Ephesians 1. We are blessed in heavenly places, but notice that it's in Christ. Brethren, if we're not in Christ until we believe, then this verse is incorrect. God has misspoke, and we know that God can't misspeak. God said that all the spiritual blessings that ever come upon us were given to us in heavenly places, and it was because we were in union with, already in Christ Jesus at that time, even though nothing had been created, I hadn't even been born. That is even before Larry was born. Larry ain't that much older than I am, really. But uh, listen, we have been in Christ, whether we know it or not, we've been in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he says, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen to be in him. And that was the basis for why we received the blessing. We received the blessing in Christ because God chose us to be in Christ. He didn't choose us uh, to be not in Christ. 
we spoke a little bit about that uh, last week, or maybe it was the week before, about in the book is written the names, there were names written down and there were names not written down. That's God's determination. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb's book of life, those who would be receiving life, their names were written down. God knew them. God chose them. God, by grace, elected to give them life. These whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, God determined before the foundation of the world, not according to anything good or bad that either one had done, but according to His election, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, God chose these and not these. So these names were not written down because they would not be receiving life. And so we see that God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? And this is where I always got this wrong. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And I always took that to be to mean now. That now we can be without before Him, or not now, but whenever we go to be before Him, that now we believe on Him, and because we believe on Him, He bestows upon us all these blessings, and then whenever we go, we can stand before Him without blame because Jesus took our place. But this right here is equating the standing before Him holy and without blame with the choosing, with the being in Christ and part of the blessing in heavenly places. So our standing before God, as I understand it, and I could be wrong and I'm open for correction through through the Scriptures uh, to anyone that might be able to help me, but it says here that we... the reason that He chose us before, uh, chose us in Him to be in Christ, where all the blessings of, of the Spirit were to be conferred, that the reason He chose us in them is so that we, again, who are the we? The faithful in Christ Jesus, His people, His elect, so that we would be, what? Holy and without blame before Him. Our standing before God, before the foundation of the world, was holy and without blame. Our standing with God in this lifetime is holy and without blame. And that did not happen when we first believed. That happened then, way back then, before the foundation of the world. And so God designed it that way, God decreed it that way, purposed it that way, so that there has never been a time that any of God's elect has been without the holiness and blamelessness of their mediator, their substitute, their surety, Christ Jesus. So as long as Christ has been our head, we have been holy and without blame. So that kind of destroys, in my opinion, destroys the notion of the Reformed who believe that faith is what justifies us, our faith, and that it's that faith that we are united to Christ, and it's that faith that we receive these blessings. This right here, I believe the Bible clearly um, makes, makes clear this thing. 
Looking on at verse 5, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. See, there's acceptance there now in the beloved. He, he doesn't accept us in this lifetime because we believed on him. And it's not the opposite, like the Arminian says, we don't accept Jesus Christ. It's just the opposite. Are we? The question isn't, is, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The question should be, are, have you been accepted by Jesus? Have you been accepted by the Lord? And he says here, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted. How has He made us accepted? In the Beloved. See, the acceptance with God isn't on our behalf, on what we have done. People say, well, God... God saved us because He loved us. No, He he loved us apart from anything that He has ever done, and His salvation is for His purpose, for His glory. We, thankfully, are the recipients of that, and we partake in that. But brethren, He He didn't save us just because He had this affinity that He had so much great love for us and, and, and that, that we were worthy. And I used to say that and I preached that, that, you know, we, obviously we had some worth because God loved us and saved us. No, God did that despite who we would be. Who we are in Adam. God did that despite, despite all that. He loved us while we were enemies against Him. He loved us while we were in sin. He loved us before all eternity. His love is an everlasting love. He had loved us with an everlasting love. That love was shed abroad onto us because it was His sheer purpose to do so. Not because of anything that we did. Now because of that love, because of Him loving us, He sent forth His Son to die for us. But it wasn't because of any inherent good in us. Therefore, we are accepted not based upon us, but we are accepted based upon, once again, Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, the shedding of the blood and the forgiveness of sin through that shedding of blood, that shedding of blood, that dying on the cross, that that life that He lived, that death on the cross, and that resurrection uh, to life that he that He did... That happened in time. <laughs> that was the basis for everything that we uh, know as far as salvation is concerned. That's the basis of it all. But yet, brethren, it was applied. It was it, it was realized. It was applied. Everything was as if, if you allow me the, the, the verse in the Scripture, uh, God called those things that were not as though they were so. You know, known unto God are all His works, the end from the beginning. The, the finished product of everything that God is doing in this redemptive work through creation, everything that God's getting to at the very end, He purposed from the very foundation of the world. He knew exactly what He was going to do. And so here, even though Jesus came at a specific time, His appointed time in this world, brethren, all the blessings of that, that came from that, was already in place for the child of grace before the foundation of the world. Now, why did I go to Sister Long Link to say that? Well, because in Romans chapter 5, 
we see after coming out of what we looked at last week about faith being a work and, and talking about justification by faith, and what does that include? Is justification by faith, as Luther and a lot of the reformers say, is that justification that when we believe? We talked about this the other night at dinner. Is that whenever we believe that God says, okay, now I declare you just? Or is it talking about a different faith? Well, we learned last week that that faith is the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not our faith. It's Christ's faith. And it's not even our faith that is given to us by Christ in the spiritual gift that He gives to us. It's not even that. It is the actual faith faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ when He walked in flesh in our stead and kept and fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. That is the faithfulness that justified us. And we've seen that last week in chapter 3 when in verse 21 where it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. And again, I mentioned last week, what was witnessed by the law and the prophets? Was it not the Lord Jesus Christ? Is not the Lord Jesus Christ who all the law and the prophets spoke of? When Jesus walked with those on the road to Emmaus, who did He speak of? He said He went to the law and the prophets and He showed them everything concerning Himself. It says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, so the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ. In a lot of your uh, modern translations that are out there, it says the faith in Christ. But that's not correct. That's not correct. It's the faith of Christ. Faith in Christ is something that comes as the result of the faith of Christ. We have faith in Christ. We have belief. We become those who believe. We become the believers. We become those of, who are of faith by Christ's faith. Because He did that, now those spiritual blessings that were given to us before the foundation of the world are now being experienced by that spiritual man who had received them before we ever were anybody here on this earth. We now are experiencing those, those spiritual blessings of grace, of faith, of repentance. Those things we begin to experience and now the knowledge of our salvation. Remember in um, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 2 that He has given us these things so that we might know what has been freely given to us. He's given us the Spirit of God. We now have received that life that was hid in Christ with God. We've received it so that we might know because apart from that we can't know. He gave us that so that we might know what's been freely given to us. And it says there in verse 24, being justified freely. Well, what's been freely given to us? Justification has been freely given to us. It's not waiting for your, your faith. It's not waiting for your acceptance. It's not waiting for something in time for God to view to make sure that you're going to follow through with it. It's, it's Christ's faith. And that was even the very thing that Abraham viewed. And Abraham accounted that the seed for his righteousness. He looked to Christ. He looked ahead. The Bible says that Abraham saw Christ from afar. 
And what did he do? He accounted it, the seed, unto him, Abraham, for righteousness. Therefore, he reckoned that faith for his righteousness, not meaning God reckoned Abraham's faith for his righteousness. He reckoned Christ's faith for Abraham's righteousness. See, we can't have perfect faith. So as we look here in verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, therefore, what faith are we talking about? Well, the faith in context that Paul's been writing about for two or three chapters, the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what justifies us. Therefore, in light of tying this back to everything that Paul has been saying previously, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through what? Our believing? No, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. It says, but whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Where does our hope come from? Where does our hope that this being applied to us come from? Well, it comes through faith. Where does our assurance come from? It comes from faith. Where does where does the whole entire um, uh, earnest expectation that this is what has happened for me come from. Whenever Paul viewed himself in this place, where did that come from? It came from the fact that Christ had given to them faith, given to them life, given to them spiritual understanding so that they might know this was freely given to me and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that this is ours, that this is for us. But I want you to notice something. This is kind of what I was wanting to look at here. It says in verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all that sin. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, I've often in the past said well this is speaking that uh, before Moses came from Adam till Moses there was no law and so therefore men died and that proves that sin was in the world and I do believe that that is true sin was in the world men died because of sin and that there was no official law before Moses but there was law. God gave Adam a law. And he said, don't eat. And Adam ate. And he transgressed the law. Everyone born of Adam is born with the same nature as Adam. They cannot keep God's law. Therefore, everything that they do is not sin because they necessarily are committing the sin, but because they are of the earth earthy. They are natural and that natural man is in the state of sin. We are in a state of sin because of our nature. Okay, It is a nature that is the sin, and it is a sin 
that does not look to God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's perfection, it's righteousness, it's holiness. And all men fall short of that. Why? Because they, they're, they're acting in sin? No, it's because they cannot meet perfection. Everything they do is sin. Everything. Everything that the flesh does is sin. Everything that is in the flesh, it cannot please God. And so therefore, everything is sin. But it says here, where there is no sin, uh, where there is no law, sin is not imputed. So there is some category somewhere at some point where sin is not imputed because there is no law. Now the Bible says that for those who are in Christ Jesus that we are not under law, but under what? Grace. Well, when was that grace given to us? That's not a spiritual blessing. Doesn't one Tim or Second Timothy two nine and ten say, "For He has saved us and called us with a holy calling"? And I believe that holy calling isn't the irresistible grace in time. That holy calling is that according to election that God's purpose might stand. That election is that holy calling. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to His what? Purpose and grace which He hath given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Wait, grace was given to us before we were even alive? Before we even existed? Absolutely. How? In Christ. See, it's in the spiritual man, it's in the spiritual aspects that we are given this thing. And men are looking at the flesh, they're looking at the outward, they're looking at the carnal and they're trying to apply spiritual things to the carnal things, and it's not, it's a spiritual thing. We should apply the spiritual to spiritual, right? And so when we look at the spiritual thing, we see that God, before the foundation of the world, give us this grace, and if we are under this grace, we are not under law. Because if we're ever under law, we're condemned, right? If we're ever under law, we fall short of the glory of God, but the man in the Spirit is not under Great, or under law, but under grace. That's why John says that because his seed remains in him, we sin not. We don't sin. We do not sin. And so, who is it then that God imputes not sin? Well, if you look with me, I, and I want to look at that in John, in 1 John. I think it's in uh, is it 1 John 3. Verse 4 says, Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law. 1 John 3, 4. For sin is the transgression of the law, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Now, one could look at that and say, well, that's talking about in Christ, in His flesh, there was no sin, which is actually absolutely true. In Christ is no sin. But could that not be, and I, I think that the Scripture warrants this in verse 6, but could that mean, and ye know that he, is, that he was manifested to take away our sins and in Him being united to Him, being the fact that because we are in Him, there is no sin. In Him is no sin. Because verse 6 says this, Whosoever abideth in Him 
sinneth not. Whoever is in Christ Jesus sinneth not because we are in Him. And there is no sin in Him, therefore there is no sin in us. And since there is no sin in us, now again, let me make clear for anybody listening, watching, or whatever, I'm not talking about this man of the flesh. We surely are in sin. That is why John in this same letter wrote, If we say we have not sinned, we have made God out to be a liar. We do have sin in this flesh because that's all it is. John is making a distinction between the natural man and the spiritual man. The spiritual man cannot sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So, uh, in verse uh, 9, whosoever is born of God. Well, what is born of God? Well, it's not the natural man. It's not the fleshly man. That's that spiritual man. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. It doth not commit sin, brethren. Now, with that being the case, now, I guess maybe let me address something here. Also, error in my past life of preaching. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. I would say if I was my young man's self, well that means that we do not continue in habitual sin. That's what that means. Tell me, pray tell, how do we keep from habitual sin? In the flesh, we can't do it. Because we are by nature sinners, therefore everything we do... The Bible says, I've mentioned this many times, the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. It didn't say all of our unrighteousnesses are filthy rags. It says all of our righteousnesses, everything that we do to the very tip-top trying to be righteous, God says are filthy rags. Why? Because God doesn't accept anything from the flesh. But that which is of the Spirit... That which is, comes from those commands of God to love God and love your neighbor. Those things that come from the Spirit of God to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things, number one, aren't controlled by us. They're controlled by God. They're the works of God. God Has God ordained works for us to walk in? Absolutely. But they're not works that we physically try to walk in. They're works that the Spirit works in us. That's why the Bible says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to willing to do His good pleasure. It's not us pulling up our bootstraps, getting all of our marching commands to get out and to be good. It is the Spirit that works in us to do these things. It is the Spirit who controls all these things. And so this does not mean that the child of God does not continue in habitual sin. It actually says what it means. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin at all. Why? Because his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin. See, he said he cannot sin. I mean, that would be a, that would be a real conundrum to say whoever is born of God does not continue in habitual sin for a seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin. Well, if, if you... Habitual sin means continual sin, but onesies and twosies are alright. That doesn't mean anything, right? But then he says he cannot sin. This means there is no ability. This is, again, cannot sin is the same connotation that we looked at whenever we seen that we cannot believe. They cannot understand my words. Why? Because they are not of God. 
What was what made them to be understand uh, of God these things? Because they're of God. The ones who are not of God can't understand God's. It's an ability. It's a it's an issue of ability. Well, this right here says this man from heaven, this this spirit from heaven, this person that we are, born from above. It cannot see. There is absolutely no way that it can sin. So is that possibly what we see back in Romans 5, verse 13? For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Sin is not imputed to the child of grace because they have always been in Christ. They were blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that God granted grace to them before the foundation of the world and under that grace they are not under law or in that grace they are not under law. Were we under law until we came to Christ? Well, we were under law in the fact that that law was pointing the finger at us as guilty, 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 guilty. But the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know. To me, it seems that sin is not imputed where there is no law, and there was no law that was ever laid upon the child of grace. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5 and verse 9, we learn that For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So there never was a time that God ever appointed us under wrath. So we were never under the wrath of God. There again, that contradicts what the Westminster Confession of Faith and even the 1689 Confession of Faith says. Uh, what the Reformed people say, that we were under God's wrath. And they always go to, well, the Bible says, uh, I think that was also in Ephesians, that uh, that we were uh, children of wrath, even as others. Let the words say what they say, brother. It says, it doesn't say we were under wrath, it says we were children of wrath. That means we were wrathful towards God. We were children that hated God. We were at enmity with Him. We despised him. We were enemies against him. We didn't like what we didn't like the God. How many times have I heard said people that don't believe what we believe say, "I'll never serve a God like that, a God that chooses some and not others, a God that dies for some and not others." I'll never serve that God. Why do they say that? Because the natural man is enmity against God. He hates God. He doesn't love God. He doesn't desire the God of the Bible. But it says here that we were not appointed under wrath. When did God do all the appointing? Ephesians 1 said He did all the appointing before the foundation of the world. He said He he did not appoint us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, saved and called according to His purpose and grace, which He gives us in Christ Jesus. But that goes on to say, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished sin and death, right? And hath brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel. A lot of people say it's to bring life and immortality to life through the gospel. We don't receive life through the gospel. We receive the light of the truth through the gospel of what was already said about us. We already had life. We already had life. Life is already given to us and that life, because of having that life and because of God granting us faith and repentance, we now realize what has already been freely given to us before the world began. So this justification by faith that Christ has given to us, this bringing peace with God, how does that bring peace to our minds? Well, whenever we preach the law, whenever we preach that you don't get until you do of anything, whether it's for justification, whether it's for sanctification, when you put the, as if I, if I made what they said in the, in the, at the Jerusalem Council, if you try to put that yoke upon the neck of anybody, it's just going to prove who our natural man really is, that we can't keep it. But thank the Lord, it isn't about the natural man. In Numbers chapter 23, uh, yeah, let's find some other verses besides the ones that I have. But in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 21, these are kind of some of my favorite ones to go to when thinking of these things. Numbers chapter 23, verse 21. The scripture says here, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Now I think about that, going past the physical, going past the the historical here, and going on to the spiritual. What is this saying about Christ? What is this saying about Christ's people? It's saying that he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. That Jacob is talking about us, the children of God. He has not beheld perverseness in Israel. Who is he speaking about? Not Israel of the flesh, but Israel of the spirit, right? They are not all of Israel that are, or they are not all Israel that are of Israel. It is the children of the promise. It is the children of faith that are the children of Abraham. Not the children of the ethnicity. Okay? It isn't, you know, flesh and blood. But it's a spiritual thing. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Now that verse would absolutely have no meaning if ever there's a time that God imputed those sins to us. Then that means he did beheld iniquity. He did see perverseness in us. But under grace, which was given to us before the foundation of the world, we were before Him in what? Holiness and love. Right? What about those famous verses penned by the psalmist in Psalm 32? Often quoted, I think it was quoted, I don't know, Brother Larry, you might be able to know this. Uh, it was quoted like three or four other times in the New Testament also. Psalms 32, look at verse 1. It said, Blessed, we use that word blessed, we always say blessed. Why is that? I think that's something that's, that's ingrained in us from childhood for some reason. Blessed. 
going through Jesus' Beatitudes, we always would say, blessed is He. Like Blessed is some like religiously strong word. Blessed. It's blessed. Right? Isn't that the word? It's blessed. It just means blessed. And it's not blessed if you do this. Those Beatitudes, by the way, I'm getting off on a tangent. The Beatitudes aren't blessed if you go do this. If you become a meek person, then God will bless you. No, it's those who are meek in spirit are that way because they're blessed of God. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed is, we're blessed by God to have that spirit. Anyway, I don't want to get up on that. Psalms 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, is this not exactly in, in concise summary of what we've looked at over the several verses this morning? That there is no sin imputed because grace has been over us from the foundation of the world. We have not been under law, but grace. Therefore, under grace, there is no law, and where there is no law, there is no sin imputed. There is no sin imputed to the child of grace whose spirit has never sinned. Can never sin. Why? Because it comes from him who is without sin, who is holy. Doesn't the Bible even speak of that man that is born from above? He said that he is created in righteousness and true holiness, or true holiness and righteousness. May have got it on backwards. It's created that way, that spirit. And so he says, Blessed is the man of whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Whose spirit is no guile. Now in the flesh there's plenty of guile, but in the spirit there is none. So we're blessed in the Spirit. <clears throat> that verse there also would have no meaning if God ever imputed sin to us. Is the child of grace, has he ever sinned? Absolutely we have. Were we in Adam whenever Adam sinned and therefore sin passed on to us? Absolutely we sinned. We sin every day. We sin all the time. But brethren, praise God, the gospel says that that sin has not been imputed unto us. And what a comforting thing that is to know. Why, why did God do it this way? Why did God choose to do it this way? We talked about that before. I believe that it's because it takes it out of the hands of men so that no man can boast. It takes it out of the hands of men because no man can say, well, I'm justified because I believed on Him, received Him, joined the church, got baptized, said three Hail Marys and knelt five times, rode my rosary beads till they lost their color. I mean, whatever it is that you want to put forth to do... There is no salvation by doing. There was salvation because it was done for us. Jesus. Brother, I think that's the end of all my thoughts that I have about, about the subject. Does anybody have anything that you'd like to say? Brother, you won't say anything? Speak on anything? A lot to think about. There's a lot there. A lot of, I really appreciate uh, that discussion between the flesh and the spirit. 
it's been boggling to me over the years, even this aspect of John 3 being born again as to, you know, the <coughs> occurs. Um, well, I'll be honest with you, brother. I'm struggling with that myself. Of course, we all, most of us, I probably would say we believe that there's an appointed time within our life that God causes us to be born again. But pretty much everything I read in the scripture says we were born again at the resurrection. And it's hard to kind of refute that. And uh, I'm, I'm still struggling with the traditions of men as well as anybody else is. And I want to be, I want to be in line with the scriptures and not what everybody says. So, but that that's a that's a subject that I've actually been studying for about a year now, and I'm struggling hard with it. <laughs> that to that. I'm struggling hard with it. But I tell you what, whenever we start looking at things like this, that we saw in these verses, it even compounds to the fact that we were we were given life at the resurrection, and or because of the resurrection. And therefore, and I've even heard uh, old Baptists say uh, that we were already born spiritually alive and that it's just we come into conversion. We are given faith, granted faith and repentance. That we are still in ignorance. There's a, birth, there's a difference between conception and birth. Conception is when life begins and birth is whenever life is beginning to be experienced. And uh, they equate that repentance and faith is that place where we're born, or that we're, uh, that, uh, re- of course, I think regeneration, the two places in Scripture where that's at, speaks specifically of the resurrection of Jesus. So that term regeneration we often misuse whenever we speak of being converted. But anyway, but I, I struggle with that too. I'm, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm leaning very heavily on we were, we were regenerated uh, or we were born from above given that life in Christ Jesus in the resurrection and uh, that we begin to experience it whenever the Lord gives us that uh, faith. The seventh chapter of Romans has been a great consolation to me oh, because absolutely. as you know the way I was brought up was with the works perfection and Paul's you know, that was the seventh chapter of Romans was post conversion, not absolutely. You know, so. Yeah, there's a lot of people who say it wasn't before he got converted. That's crazy. I don't know anybody before conversion that struggles with their sinfulness, to be honest with you. Maybe it's the guilt point. of it. Maybe the guilt of it or something, repercussions, but struggle with the fact that they continue to want to do. Well, nobody wants to do. God stuff. It is a great consolation. And what's unfortunate in that there's that word again, I keep using that. Um, the chapter and verse breaks that we have in our Bibles, you know, of course these were letters that were written to people. Paul said all that in verse seven, and we always stop there, but verse eight is actually there is Therefore, now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. I mean, he's given a consolation to those who are struggling with this flesh and spirit warfare. I mean, he just said, he said, he knows a wretched man that he is. He's going to deliver me from this body of death. Well, it's not in this lifetime. It'll, it'll be at the end of our lifetime. 
that we're delivered from this body of death, but it's going to be Jesus Christ who delivers us from this. We're going to be raised outside of this body of death into another body that's a body of life. But he says, I thank God through Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin, he resigned within himself to know it's just going to be this way throughout all my life. I'm going to struggle and I'm going to serve the law of sin in my flesh. But it's only through the through the mind that I want to serve the law of God. That's the only way that we can serve the law of God is in the spirit, in our mind. Our flesh is going to continue to do those things which is contrary to what we want to do, what we desire to do. And that's where he gives that consolation. So often with that, with that chapter break there, we lose the effectiveness of that. There is therefore now. But child of grace, know that that struggle that's in all of us, that's there, and we're waiting and groaning that this body will be put down. There's no condemnation there. There's no condemnation. It's beautiful. <coughs> so what are your thoughts on the uh, regeneration? Well, I tend to agree with you. I think that uh, quickening is a better word for the action of the Spirit. Pink mm-hmm. uh, had kind of a change of heart on that. I think he used to strong on the regeneration thing and I think he kind of came around the more you're thinking on the on the subject and uh, you know I think uh, I'm really lacking on this subject about the flesh and the spirit a lot and he says you can never put the two together there's totally separate entities you know it's uh, and he, he totally concurs with your he would say amen this morning when we were preaching because uh, he definitely believes that the spirit uh, the work of Christ in the elect was not in time it was in eternity past I mean I I try to see it from that old viewpoint again and I often go back and look back, and especially whenever you know I speak with family and stuff like that, and they, I just go back to remember what you were taught growing up and all like that. Remember what your grandpa used to teach and all that sort of stuff. And I do. I go back and I look at that stuff, and I tell you, the more that I go back and look at that, the more I see how erroneous it is, and the further it pushes me strongly in what we believe in sovereign grace. And uh, seeing seeing things that I talked about this morning, seeing those things, it's hard for me to go back and say, "Well, no, it was this way. It was." That's really interesting because just this morning I had this thought in my mind: Christians are no longer dead. Okay, well, that in a way that's kind of coming against what you're saying because. Yes, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But in what, if I understand what you're saying, the spirit of those who are God's elect has always been had a vital link to to God. You know, I mean that, that vital union has always been there, like Stanley Phillips thought. You know, well, the question that arose in my mind whenever the Lord began to 
bothered me about this thing is uh, is if we are given eternal life, and that life didn't begin when I believed, it didn't believe, it didn't begin whenever he, uh, it was always there. I mean, eternal life goes as far backwards as it goes forwards. Well, everlasting life. Some say, well, everlasting life just means life continual and everything. But that word everlasting is also used in places where the Lord is speaking of eternal. And so I couldn't make a distinction between everlasting and eternal. But the Bible does say he's given us eternal life. So if he's given us eternal life, it's definitely going to be everlasting. But uh, if it's eternal, it's eternal. So that means that life was derived before anything was created. And that life was only in Christ, the Bible says. The fact that we've been re- these things have been revealed to us doesn't change the fact as to when it happened. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It didn't. It didn't change anything. Um, we kind of like to think it does, though, because we think the world revolves around ourselves, <laughs> you know. But uh, but yeah, that didn't change anything, and it's not as if God's up there, you know, waiting on is He going to believe now, or is He going to believe later, or even if even if you take the perspective of God knows all things, so He knows we're going to believe, because Jesus said, you know, He knew those from the beginning who would betray Him, right? and those who would believe on Him, so He knew. But He's not saying, well, I got to wait until that point in time for them to do that before I can tell them, okay, I've forgiven all your sins and. No, no, that's crazy. And, and and again, there we go back. Then the Old Testament saints had to be saved a different way than the New Testament saints. The Old Testament saints didn't get anything. And I, even at this, and see that this is where I'm struggling with this: that life that that the that the life is given to us at the cross. Well, then. Then everybody after that gets the life. But what about everybody before that? So my my thing is either it is God giving life in His appointed time throughout time, or that every elect is born into this world, whether before the cross or after the cross, already with the Spirit of God in them. And it's just at God's appointed time that He brings them forth or begets them. Uh, that word begot also means to be bring forth. And so that's kind of, you know, I'm kind of a little confused and all that. And I may have There's a long time. The chapter of Acts that I just love it talks about David and how that he he knew Christ. He knew Christ. He knew Christ said, you know what I mean? Um, and so God the revelation of, of God's to his people is another whole subject it's just uh, remarkable to me because how God revealed himself um, I think I've shared this with you before I went to a homeschool meeting in Fargo, North Dakota and uh, Wayne House was there he's a dispensationalist and I asked him this was in my early days I'm just trying to just you know in the scripture and I said how would the Old Testament saints say he said that's the question he never gave me the answer he said that's the question well you know the Old Testament saints 
are no different from the New Testament saints. They were all chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so, as far as, you know, redemption and when it was accomplished and applied and all that, you know, if Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, then it's not really relevant question as to when, because it's because if God is he's, he never changes he, his, his decree is one decree you know? well, and that's another reason why I don't believe we were under wrath and now we're perhaps, you know, not under wrath because God doesn't change I mean, if we were under wrath and his, his anger and hatred was towards us now it's not, then God's changed I love your point you made the other night at dinner about the impeccability of Christ because that is rooted and grounded in the atonement. That's the only reason that his atonement was effectual is because of his impeccability. That's right. Spotless lamb. Good stuff. I appreciate it. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of things here. We, we've only dove into the shadows. We, there's so much depth in what Christ has done. And of course, you know, we only have revealed to us what God has revealed to us, and we can't presume upon eternal things as much as what's revealed to us. And so, you know, there's a lot that's probably there that. None of us can even scratch the surface on conveying. But I, I do believe that those things which are given to us, that God has given to us. And, uh, I mean, there's certain things, like that song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light. You yeah. know, used to sing that, you know. There is, there is some value in looking to the cross, mm-hmm. you know, and, and seeing that perfect lamb. A lot of people worship the cross, though, not the oh, that's right. Christ at the cross. That's exactly right. Yeah. One I, I have a hard time singing the old road cross. I... <laughs> <laughs> the old road cross made a difference for me. Well, I thought it was Christ that made the difference for you. Yeah. No, and I understand what they're trying to convey. That's speaking of the work of Christ, but I'd rather be a little more, uh, a little more correct on that. Everything. That's one of the reasons why we don't do crosses. I don't even like this Bible. I had to, it's got the oh, cross. I, I seen that Bible just the other day. Yeah, I mean, it's a good price because it's Walmart. It's well, like that's where I thought it was. Walmart, 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 Walmart. Walmart. Yeah. Excellent print, but I would push that cross. That was that building that we used to be in. Um, you know, it wasn't our building. We couldn't do nothing about it, but they had out there the yeah. cross and the bricks. On that glass. Yeah, well, glass. yeah, and that too. And so I hated, I hated that. But we don't, we don't do crosses and steeples and stuff like that. Pictures of Jesus, all like that. So, but yeah. So I think I think John Owen would agree with you actually. Really? Well, I mean, if you read his death to death and death of Christ, and talks everything here in his treatise is grounded and rooted in. 
I mean, I don't agree with everything. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not right. a Reformed person. But you know, um, listen to on the way up here. We listen to James Boyce. You know, and I'll tell you, he's strong in the eternity, eternal life. And he talks when James Boyce does this teaching on eternal life. It's not. It's eternity past. It's not just in the future. That kind of goes against the stream of his. It does. Theology. Yeah, I, I listened to uh, listen to him and read a lot of his books when I first started coming to the doctrines of grace. You know, and if you find any books in a Christian bookstore that are of sovereign grace nature, it's all Protestant yeah. reform stuff. So much of it had is like you stated, the Puritans and around the confession, stuff like, like that, that and everything. Matter of fact, it wasn't until um, um, the first books of all the old old Baptists like BB and Trot and Thompson and all those guys like that that I even come across was uh, uh, Brother Royce. Uh, their church give me some sent me some books whenever I, I started to preach um, and he sent me a bunch of all these books that Stanley Phillips uh, did out all these the golden age of the Baptist and everything it's just a compilation of writings from uh, a lot of the old Baptists anyway they, they uh, he sent me all those from Stanley Phillips and then some the, all the BB's editorials and all that sort of stuff. And that's the first encounter I'd ever had with the old school Baptist. And he sent me those because I was beginning to see and preach about a lot of the things, but I wasn't finding that among a lot of people and everything. And he sent those to me and said, you know, I think you'll find a lot of comfort in me. He said, this is kind of more the direction we lean in this. So, uh, that's how, how I come into contact with uh, uh, folks like the Welsh Track and all those guys. And got on. Did you know Ron Pound? Uh, a little bit through Tom Phillips. Uh, I was on his forum. They had a forum there, and we conveyed back and forth. Uh, Hort Sparks was on there. Mm-hmm. And Hort Sparks had his own forum, I think, there, and I was on his. So I have learned that a lot of this old-school Baptist stuff from... Be acquainted with those men, but mainly from the book. And I've never seen books that talked about eternal value. Yeah. While I believed it, I didn't know the term eternal value. Right. I never and then Stanley Phillips, you know, that was one of the first places I ever read a book on eternal value, and that one he wrote. And uh, then through those books, I've seen it. So, um, well, one of the things that, and I didn't know this, I just learned this last week, Robert's been, you know, showing. His challenges with Benjamin Keach. And, you know, he made it really clear where one side, Benjamin Keach, he says he's uh, he's in the camp of the conditionalists. You know, because he puts certain if, ifs in, in there. You know, if you do this, then this will happen. And I wasn't aware of that regarding Benjamin Keach. Yeah. Because a lot of people think Benjamin Keach is old school. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't know. I, the only book I have by Keach is his uh, on types and metaphors. Mm-hmm. The only book I have Keach. I didn't read much of uh, Keach. Now I did his. Uh, was it uh, him that had the catechism or the? Was that been in Anyway, I don't know. I, I, I forgot a lot of that stuff because I, I, I really kind of quit reading a lot of those whenever I started coming across guys like that. And I really don't even read much that stuff anymore. But, uh, but whenever I do read, I like to read guys like that and everything. All those other guys just... Well, you know, he made a general statement. Robert made a general statement. I did a lot of thinking about it. And the more I think about it, I, I can't refute it. And the statement was this. Um, he, he named the Presbyterians the Puritans, the Catholics, those who hold to the creeds and so on. He said there's one universal thread that runs through all of that, and that the daughter of God. That's a pretty powerful statement. Yes, and, and if you notice... One, one, one thread that runs through every religion, whether it's a Christian religion or whether it's any other kind of religion, one thread that runs through every one of those is free will. That's right. And even among the Calvinists, they still hold the free will. That's a really good point. In fact, I would even go further and say that one area that all the religion, the works religionists agree with, they would agree with the agnostics and atheists because the atheists hold a free will. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. I mean, see that that is that thread that runs through everything except the true gospel. And like even among the Calvinists, they'll they'll say, well, we have free will, but it's according to our nature. Well, that ain't true either. My flesh man's will is subjected to God, and the new man's will is subjected to God. I mean, it's all subjected to God. I've heard people say that the only, even though it's the talk against free will, they say, I concur with what you're saying, we don't have free will today, but they did have free will in the Garden of Eden. No, they didn't have no free will. There's no way to. In the day you eat it, you shall surely die. In the day. day. Yeah, not if you eat of it in the day the that is there. Well, matter of fact, in, in Do you that, want me to continue this slide? Oh, no, you can turn it off. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and turn it off. 